Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's working. That's working. That's recording. Hallelujah. Tim is with us today. Tim, tell us who is, who are, who is Tim? Well, uh, if I'm going to start from the very beginning, uh, I've only moved uh, to our area here in Raleigh, North Carolina in the last couple of years, but I'm originally from New York City. Wonderful. And born and bred. There. Yeah, you, you yeah. never would have guessed <laughs> with your accent. I'm just kidding. Is you that, definitely got that great New York accent. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> did you bring us anything from the big city, Tim? I did not. I, in fact, I think I left everything behind on purpose. Just ah. to, yeah, sort of a stripping of and yeah. starting afresh. Do you find in the triangle that there's a high concentration of people from New York? Yeah. It seems like yeah. it's New York, Michigan, yeah. and like Ohio. Yeah. Well, I did see a stat on that recently. That's that's actually factual. I have what has been surprising is I have not met many New York City people. So how do you find it here in North Kakalaki? I love it. You know, I, I lived in one of the five boroughs. I lived in Queens. So it was very um, suburban in the part that I lived in, which is actually very uh, similar to where I moved to. I moved to over by uh, the North Hills Mall. And uh, so in that sort of suburban urban feel that, that, you know, that yeah. mix, it's, it's basically exactly how I, what I left. I remember when I first moved to the South, I realized how rude I was by mm. comparison. Mm. Like, where are you originally from? Uh, Michigan. Uh, I see. So it's not. I never considered Michigan though, being a high. Well, uh, I think it was just a me thing. I see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was a Michigan thing. Everybody is so polite here. It's ridiculous. It is. Yeah. And it, it makes you want to be better mm. or it makes me want to be better. Yeah. I, I, I kicked my game up. Tim, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We should probably say before we get going, not only are my dogs in the studio like they normally are, but so is Maddie Blanchard. She's hanging out. Say hello, Maddie. So if you hear like somebody laugh and you think that's a girly laugh that Joe has, it's actually, (laughs) it might be Maddie. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me, guys. I just wanted to listen in today. Well, you're welcome here. (laughs) Maddie kind of put this thing together, didn't she? She said, you got to meet this guy who's... He has some great stories to tell and he's mm. been through some things and he's mm. an overcomer mm. and uh, a leader of men and so to speak. Wow. And, you know, powerful guy. We're really uh, thankful to hear some, some, some things about life and maybe they could help you overcome some things as well. Yeah. So let's get started. Just yeah. what's, what's your story in a nutshell? Well, that was, that was an unbelievable uh, intro. And, and I, I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> live up to that, but <laughs> what, what I would say is, is that, um, you know, when I look back on my life and I look at what was the driving force of, you know, uh, um, uh, why I got up in the morning and did what I did. And uh, I, I do have to go back all the way to my childhood. And my childhood was one in which my, um, living circumstances, uh, as a, uh, you know, five-year-old, six-year-old, 10-year-old, uh, was such that I was completely and absolutely in a, uh, incapable of, uh, using my brain. It was always a function of me not feeling as though I could, hmm. uh, get along. And uh, those were reports from teachers and reports from neighbors and reports from parents, you know, all that sort of thing. So just to fast forward from there, because of that, I became um, ecstatic when that changed. And it changed virtually on its own. It changed miraculously. And uh, uh, it led me 
um, uh, through puberty, it led me to finding uh, the way to interact with people. And uh, that came via alcohol. And, and my mind opened up. My mind became very um, capable well, that's interesting yeah. because usually you hear that sort of thing associated with like LSD and yeah. mushrooms and yeah. when smoking yeah. weed, but yeah. you're talking about alcohol. Yeah. Right? And, and, and it's not the alcohol at that point per se. It was the use of that bonding force, that connection to that singleness of purpose, that, that mission of getting and, 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 you know, uh, eventually evolved into, yeah. you know, how you interact with girls and, and, and all of that sort of thing. So it was a coming out, so to speak. And, uh, that I, I can't understate that because there was such a, a change for me that it sent me on a road of, I want more of that and I want more of that now. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the amount of alcohol, but it was that connection to all those other guys and gals. Yeah. That's really was my driving force. And what's important about that is, is that, you know, when we get a little further on in my story, that is my driving force now. It's uh, fascinating. I was yeah, reading a yeah. book. I started a new audio book. You told me I should check it out. It's called Atomic Habits. Oh, cool. Did you start that one yet? Not yet. No. Okay. Well, then why'd you recommend it? Because <laughs> I knew you'd read it first and I wouldn't have to, it man. Is, it's uh, it's off to a great start. So it's basically talking about the science behind the human behavior of how we develop habits, how we start good habits, how we end bad habits. And the first one of the four is trigger. Mm. Um, and what's funny is when you're defining what a trigger is, and we know it in our lives, we have triggers. We normally give the attribution to the wrong thing. Like if you have a like sometimes, uh, let's say you get home and you're, you just start watching TV. Um, you might think your trigger is, you know, turning on the TV, but it's probably, I want to be entertained. Mm -hmm. It's actually something mm -hmm. deeper. Before. It's something emotional, very clear in the way you were setting that up is actually the thing that I really wanted was emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And I found something that got me there, mm -hmm. which was alcohol. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it probably wasn't the lasting solution you were hoping for when it came to so, meeting the emotional So well needs. said. And, and that's exactly it. Um, and again, it wasn't amounts or getting drunk or any of that. It was the bonding force yeah. of me finding what was missing in my, in my gut. Mm -hmm. Is that common with alcoholics across the board? Is I, the bonding thing? I, I think trying to fill a God-sized hole with something that's not spiritually, but yeah, mm -hmm. I, do, I do think that that I may have worded it slightly differently, putting a little bit more of the emphasis on the connection. And I meant that humanistic, mm -hmm. but the connection ultimately, I think does lead to the mm -hmm. one. Yeah. The higher power. And that is also right there with C.S. Lewis said it once, one of my favorite quotes, the holiest thing you'll ever meet next to the Trinity is your neighbor, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. that's sort of in line with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. So, uh, the, 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 place that I really ended up with was alcohol started to become a problem then because uh, again, it was insatiable in, uh, I wanted more of this connection, uh, over a period of time, I started, alcohol started to become a problem for me. And ultimately I was led to AA. Now I had an advantage over most people in that I grew up, uh, with a father who was sober, who was in AA. Mm. So I saw all of his friends. I saw how he was uh, connected via the program. Uh, 
Did you know him yeah. prior to AA? Did you experience the monster? No, no, no. Uh, uh, he got sober when I was one age one. That's great. So, um, and he died when I was very young. He died when I was 12. But the important thing, it was so impressionable upon me was uh, uh, I was brought to a couple of AA meetings with him. I saw the connection of the people to him. And later on, when I went to my first meeting, and it was a, a recommendation from a, from a therapist uh, after getting a, a DWI, um, I didn't have a problem with calling myself an alcoholic. I didn't have a problem with going to meetings. Now, on my first time through at age 22, I think I missed a couple of the key elements of what we should be doing. 27, I came back for real because I had met uh, then a woman, uh, became my girlfriend, now is my wife, but uh, with the fear of losing that connection. And, and, and even the way I went back at age 27 wasn't uh, what I would consider to be the true recipe today, but it was an attempt. And uh, I was blessed. I was uh, bestowed uh, no desire to drink again for 12 years straight. Mm. So from age 27 to age 40, I did not drink or drug or anything like that with no struggle whatsoever, with very little... Uh, true participation, how I would define it now, very little true participation in AA uh, uh, for the first several years and no participation in the in the last several years, um, but feeling very comfortable in my sobriety. My life was completely um, transformed. I went from that kid who did not have any sort of mental acuity to being uh, a uh, uh, a salesperson. I, I, I sold television advertising time uh, in Manhattan and I did it for, you know, almost 25 years straight and, you know, uh, rocked and rolled. And um, so I was really quite thrilled with myself. So from 27 to 40, I'm on a, uh, a business trip at 40. And I, I, again, I'm not participating in AA the way it's recommended. And uh, I remember being on a, a business trip in Philadelphia and, um, Somebody at the at the restaurant said, you know, let's get a drink. And I, you know. Would you call uh, that a relapse? I call, would have called that. Yeah, I, that's a correct yeah. word. Yes, yes, yes. So. Um, uh, and what was that but, experience? But, you know, what's really great about that is I don't know if I would have called that that then. I was under the impression I consciously made a rational decision to pick up that drink. In hindsight, I say that that's not correct. But. I thought I was taking a uh, 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 a bit of a risk, but I was uh, going to do an experiment that now I'm 40, I can handle this stuff. That was, you know, that was childhood stuff that I couldn't handle it. If it's a problem, I'll just go back to AA. I'll do the same exact thing again. And the, the, the problem with that is, is that wasn't the cosmic plan. The cosmic plan was that I was going to fail at that experiment. And, uh, um, I realized it fairly quickly within six months and I hid it from my wife that I was actually drinking. Um, I had such a schedule in which that was not as hard as it may sound like it would be. And, um, you know, after six months of that experience, uh, I, um, I realized they made a mistake. And, uh, for the following six months or a year, I tried to go back to AA yet again, without ever telling my wife that I was out of AA, or I shouldn't say out of AA, that I was now drinking again. It didn't happen for me like it happened the first time. 
And uh, that was a bit of a shock to me, to tell you the truth. And I, I, I literally gave up mm. and said, I'm going to have to ride this train to the last stop. To what level? I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, like, to, Yeah. To yeah. what level were you hiding the, uh, the, what would you, would you call it an addiction? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. What yeah. level were you hiding it? Um, I would say I was probably drinking uh, a pint a day, a pint of, of vodka a day. Oh. Do you think that it affected your job? It did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. And I, and I only started to see it uh, uh, in that three year span. I only started to really see it uh, one year in. Hmm. Do you think that the the reason that you decided, because it sounds like you're saying there was a totally different reason than the first time you got into alcohol. It was for a human connection. And the second time, it sounds like you were saying that you were doing yeah. it to prove to yourself that you'd beat it. That's great. I, and, you know, I didn't think of it in that term, in those terms, but I want to say that they were actually both the exact same reason. Mm. So were you struggling at the time, like connecting with people or I would say I did not have a crew. I did not belong with the sales team that would go out after work and have a couple. Yeah. I was all by myself and I felt as though uh, I needed to fill that, uh, that void again. And I looked to how to become a civilian again and be just like everybody else. Yeah. So it's possible it was a very similar reason. Like I don't, uh, I think this will help me, this will help me get it. This will help me get the crew back yeah, That's exactly or right. find the yeah. crew. Yeah. Hmm. Because I did not have the, uh, the foundation developed within AA. Yeah. Of that crew. So when did you yeah. realize or, or have you realized that, that they're actually, uh, maybe they're not even the same thing, like drinking in connection. Like, have you, have you figured out like what helps you connect to people now that you're not drinking? Being of service to people that want to not drink. Yeah. I think, I think we all use something to connect, whether it's the gym or, or bicycling or, or, uh, the church or, um, uh, education, or there's always something that is used for, um, some sort of, sort of satisfaction of being part of. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways you can get into a community of people. Mm. Um, a lot of times you hear the word tribe nowadays, mm -hmm. like finding my tribe. Yeah. One of the things that we say in A is uh, once a pickle, never a cucumber again. So once you've crossed the line into being an alcoholic, yeah. the only rational decision would be to drink if you can't find the connection elsewhere. Mm. And the connection needs to be something of spiritual nature. Yeah. Giving of oneself for no apparent benefit. Now, of course, the, the benefit is, is that it makes it uh, uh, possible for me to not drink again. Yeah. Like I, I don't actually get up and feel like I'm not going to drink today. It's not even a thought in my head. Mm -hmm. So uh, defense against the first drink only comes via me dealing with the problem by flanking it. And that is altruistic work towards other people. Wow. Replacing it with. Yeah. And, and, and more importantly, it needs to be uh, 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 alcoholic to alcoholic. 
singleness of purpose, sameness to sameness, it raises the potential for both yeah. successes. Yeah, that's um, that's just a great way to describe accountability. And I think yeah. for whatever it is that you're dealing with, it could be a positive struggle, it could be a negative struggle, but we're all struggling. Let's not yeah. pretend like yeah. everybody doesn't have a struggle. Yeah. And the way that life works or the way my life has seemed to work, and it seems to, I observe this in the lives of other people, is when you finish with a struggle, there's another one right there. Yeah. You're, you're coming into it. Yeah. You're going out of one. Like you, you need a tribe. You need somebody who's accountable. And I think mm. that's a really good point that you don't hear a lot about. You need somebody in the same struggle. Yeah. Because otherwise, there's not the instant bond of relationship that goes with something like that. I think that's why... Like I was telling, I think we were talking about it in the last podcast. Um, now that I'm a business owner, I'm starting to gravitate more towards business owners sure. because I am learning the struggles for myself firsthand. And I really want to be connected with somebody that's yeah. been there and has walked through that. And yeah. so I can just be like, yeah. so what did you do when this happened? Yeah. There's a guy, uh, a buddy of mine, Mike, uh, who's a pastor of Hope Community Church. And he was, he was talking in a sermon illustration. And I was thinking, I often think like, here's a guy that's really been doing this a long time. He's got a really good way with words. And he was talking about this idea that when you get something like a dream vacation or a goal or something, those memories are good and they fade and they kind of fade pretty quick. But the, the joy, I guess, is the, what you feel when you help make an impact positive in somebody's life it seems to recall at the same level every time it comes up like, Oh man, I feel the exact same way about that as I did yeah. when it happened so long ago. Yeah. And that's gotta be something to do with the way that we're wired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that really goes to the question of what is our purpose? And I, you know, I, I honestly think our purpose is to help other people grow yeah. and in the process of that we grow. So we say often that we are not in the result game. We're in the effort game. So mm. that endorphin that you talked about, I get whether the other guy heard it or not. Right. Yeah. So it's not as uh, the success part is icing on the cake. The cake is me doing the deal. The minute I would pick up an alcohol, alcohol or drug, I would become selfish when I am working with someone else or just sharing my story with somebody else, I am being selfless. And that is really what I think the program teaches us, um, that it's it's the dropping of ego, the humility, the stripping away, the peeling the onion all the way back to what is, is core things in, in, in all humans. I wonder if that's also why many people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol who don't turn from it mm. end up in a bed of, say, suicide or yeah. Just because it's ultimately yeah. so selfish, you just yeah. continue to go in that like everything yeah. is meaningless yeah. place. Yeah. And then it is. And then you take actions there that yeah. end you up in DWI situations sure. in jail and ultimately sure. just like, I want to check out because yeah. I can't get the fix. I can't get the, you know. Right. Well, you're, we're I think we as alcoholics and addicts are keep going back to the wrong bank. Hmm. That, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a withdrawal from the bank, but it's the wrong bank. The bank is across the street. Do you think when people decide to come out of it, that it's the hardest time at that first time they say, I'm going to stop whatever it is? I, 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 
I don't know. I'd have to think about that. And I think it might go with different people. I, I, I've, I've is, spoken with a lot of people, but to mm. answer that particular But is there like a physiological body reaction as well, like yes. going cold that's oh, sure. also on top of the- Sure, sure. And that it's normally recommended to do that under medical care. But what I would say is, is I think the cosmos sets it up for us that the time that we have the ability to get a handle on it, is when things are so bad, we call it our bottom, gift of desperation. It's in that DWI, it's in that divorce, it's in that loss of job that actually makes it easier for us to realize we're powerless over it and we're gonna need to take some other steps to to uh, 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 get on a different path. Even more of a gift would be not having to hit the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I don't think most people can just say, oh, I'm going to switch my life over to giving it to other people for no apparent benefit, just for the hell of it. It, it hard, doesn't, hard yeah, it motivate. doesn't, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I don't want to hit the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Does that mean I need to stop well, what I'm doing? You know, it's funny you say that. No, but it's funny you say that because I would describe alcoholism. I would describe AA. I would describe my sober friends as the most significant thing in my life before and after. The sober friends. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're in it. In it. To win it. Connected. Together. Connected. Right? Connection. Con connection. And that's the most valuable thing. I, I believe that's the thing everybody's hunting for. Can, can we talk about for a second? I don't know how to articulate this, but I just curious your guys' opinion on it. The, I like people who are honest a lot more than I like people who are exaggerators um, or just not transparent. And so for me, like people that I connect with and I really enjoy hanging out with are people that have been through a process similar to what you're describing, whether it be a recovery type story or something else in their life, help them realize that they were being selfish and putting themselves first yeah. and they needed to get out of that and start living a different way. Um, what do you think are some of the, the main factors or enemies of being connected? Like, what do you think are people's main hurdles when it comes to be like, Oh, you know, I think maybe one of them is secrecy. And I'm curious what you think about that. Do you find it to be true in a lot of the people that you talk to, the axiom of like, once you are just open and honest about stuff, that the that the monster kind of shrinks? Yeah. Oh, it's actually something that like maybe 100,000 people are also going through right now. And there's there's a good technique for getting through it. And yeah. these people want to help me. Very well you know? said. <laughs> you know, and and I feel as though the, the program, the AA program addresses that directly. And uh, just to back up a half a second into my story, uh, I did describe those three years where I felt as though uh, I went back to AA, uh, I dabbled a little bit more in AA yeah. and it didn't seem like it was taking. And I had surrendered to the fact that I'm screwed. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to ride this train to the end. Yeah. Something's different this time. You know, um, it wasn't until I was honest with my wife and told her I was drinking that then I went back to the same exact meeting that it failed at. Yeah. And all of a sudden the channel opened up and I felt the, the connection. Secrets are a major, major problem. And we describe it uh, 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 very adequately, I think, in the fourth step, which is uh, a inventory of resentments, fears and harms.
right? Things that we've done, harms, fears, stuff that hasn't happened in yeah. yet. It's in the future. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job and resentments, things that have happened in the past that I am completely obsessed with. Yeah. When those uh, are brought out, written down and shared with the sponsor and a light goes on them, diminishes greatly. Home run. Yeah. I mean, that was the other thing I was thinking, obviously, is one of the the enemies of connectedness. It's pride. Pride mm-hmm. is normally the joker that's behind yeah. virtually everything I've ever screwed yeah. up in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in your story you were talking about. Yeah. I can handle this. I mean, how many times have we got ourselves into trouble <laughs> with that statement? Yeah. Like, I can handle this. Um, And even if we could, like it's almost working against the kind of people that I think we want to be. People that are connected with each other are dependent. They're not independent. Um, And so we're kind of reinforce the behavior or the characteristics of people we don't actually want to become when we rely so much on like, I can do this. I got this. I'm not going to tell this. Um, I wonder if another thing is, uh, just dishonesty. Yeah. Um, have you talked with many people or have you, I know I've experienced this in my life when I was younger, I had a problem with lying. Like it started out like as a little kid, it was like exaggeration, which is a polite way to say lying. But then, you know, you get to the place where you're just exaggerate for no reason. And then I remember in a couple instances, like I had told lie so many times that it was like, now I bought it. Like I was buying my own crap. Like, uh, you know, like, Oh, that's what happened. And then you're like, no, it's not dummy. Like that's the thing you've been saying for no reason for forever. Um, just cause I know for me, it was a realization that that didn't help me at all. It didn't help me get connected with anybody else. And then it was something that I don't know exactly what triggered it, but I remember thinking, I need to eradicate this, like no more. Like I need to undo the crap I did and just be clear about it. Like I had a problem with exaggerating and I would, I would lie about stuff that I didn't need to lie about and then just draw a line in the sand and be like, all right, not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you believe in this notion? This is also in that atomic habit book. So I thought it was good. He was saying if, uh, by changing the micro things, the small things throughout your day, you're casting a vote for the kind of person that you want to be. When you kind of, uh, is fell off the wagon, a term that people use? We wouldn't use it in the program. Wouldn't use it in the program. So when you decided, um, that you were going to give it a shot to, to try at at that work retreat when you were 40, like I can beat this. That was kid stuff, et cetera. Do you feel like that undid everything? Like, what did that feel like psychologically? Did you feel like that undid all the progress that you made? No, I really didn't. I, I felt. See, I love that, that about people yeah. that have been through AA. Because <laughs> yeah. for me, like that would be my mode. I would be like, oh, I'm starting over. Yeah. No, I felt as though a um, a new door was open to me. Like it, it was, it was uh, doing AA sort of half-assed mm-hmm. to the opportunity. And and again, I I. I genuinely believe God put in front of me the exact people I needed at that moment. Like yeah. when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appeared kind of thing. Right. Um, so no, I was, I, I was tickled pink. Yeah. I, I was, I was thrilled that within a very short period of time, I'm talking about a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. I felt everything I was looking for in the bar for those three years. Yeah. Like that's how quickly it happened for me. 
So it was it was miraculous. You made the you made the point of you know doing uh, uh, small little things uh, mm-hmm. throughout the day that would uh, eventually add up. And it, it, it said in AA all the time: if you you want to build self esteem, do a esteemable acts. Some people approach AA as um, uh, as a sentence, you know, yeah. <laughs> like this kind of sucks. Well, you you know that would not be my experience. I'll tell you. I think I know why I love that answer so much, because I think people that don't understand that people have intrinsic value as just humans, just for being humans, um, they, the other way of thinking about that or the incorrect, or I would say probably lesser fulfilling way to live your life is to think of people as their worth being in what they do. Mm. And so it's a collection of plus and minuses. And then if it tips the scale at some point, but that doesn't, seem to be the case of people who have been through a recovery journey or in my experience, people that understand that their identity is um, who God says they are and not just in the the summary of their actions. You know, I think of like, if you've, I'm reading the old Testament again right now and you're reading about like the old Testament Kings and the stuff that they're doing and it's just not great stuff. Mm. And that's about like David, who the Bible says is a God after man's uh, a man after God has an own heart. And, um, it was not necessarily his actions. It was the way that David understood about who God was and who God said he was. Because if you stack up like the bad stuff that he did and compare it to like a bad king in the Chronicles and it's, and then God will sum that person up and be like, and he lived the way he wanted and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, the actions were not that much different. I mean, David like murdered a dude, took his wife, uh, all kinds of not great stuff yeah. <laughs> that he actually did. But it was, I think it has so much to do with, and that's why I love that answer. It's not that he discounted everything and been like, no, the worst thing that I've ever done is my identity now. And I think that's the, that's the reaction of people that don't understand this, this principle. (laughs) It's like, no, we're kind of, we're all on a journey together and what we can control is who we're being today. And the fact that we've made mistakes is human. And you're not defined by your mistakes. Yeah. And I think when when you can live your life and treat other people that way, it's something that just makes people want to be connected to you. Yeah. And I think people who have been through sobriety or people who understand that, you know, their poo stinks and for whatever got them there in their life <laughs> to help them understand that point, um, interact with people in a way that fosters community, unlike people who... Uh, you know, I haven't ever, I don't understand you, man. That's weird. Why would you do that? That's messed up. I think, I think that person is just kind of lying to themselves, you know? Well, you know, it's funny that you put it in, in those terms and and referred back to the old Testament and, and I'm not, I'm not uh, a learned in that uh, realm, but what was so cool about what you said about David was the understanding of uh, sort of an interpretation I have about AA's uh, step six and seven. And basically it's about asking your higher power, asking God to remove your shortcomings. What I love about that story that you told is that I believe, and, and I, I said it before, that my alcoholism, AA, was the greatest gift to me. Mm-hmm. Because it put me, it gave me a bottom, which I was forced into doing something about, followed some instructions, got the result and, you know, yeah. uh, uh, get to pass that on. What I love about um, 
the correlation between the David uh, story and AA's six and seven is the idea that our inbox is never empty. The idea that our shortcomings and our character defects are actually our greatest asset because it keeps us coming back to the spiritual trough. I got news for both of you guys. If I did not have my character defects, I would consider myself done. I'm I'm a finished product. I don't need Mm. to do anything else. I'm going home right now. Yeah. So I think it's actually our greatest gift. Yeah, I agree. I think when God talks about how he sees us now as a result of having forgiven us through Jesus. So this is like the Bible term. It's a big theological word called justification, which is basically a way of saying, no, you absolutely still screwed up. All that stuff is still there, but it's just like you didn't. Interesting. Um, And so it's not so much that it is erased in the sense of now I'll never think about it again, but it should be a point of joy and remembrance of like, that's what he brought me out of. So he can do it again because we're going to screw up again. And there's going to be a moment where we got to realize like, I need this again. Um, And that's kind of like the essence of faith, right? Like thinking like there's a historical record I've been, I've screwed up before and was forgiven. I've screwed up before and was forgiven. And uh, some people have a real problem with this. They call it cheap grace. Like, so what then? Should you just go on sinning? Uh, (laughs) Which is a rhetorical thing that Paul said in one of the epistles. Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. But the, the, the understanding of it's not over, like there's not, you're not done is just the way that we live as humans. And when you lose sight of that, you get into like on the, on the religious side, not in the, in the addiction recovery side, maybe there's a correlation here, but on the religious side, if you start thinking I got all my stuff together and I'm, I'm better than that's where you get really religious people that don't do anybody any good. Yeah. Cause then there's people over there that are unacceptable yeah. and we're the acceptable ones over here, uh, which is just not really found anywhere in the Bible. Uh, it's just not a, for people that claim to be Christians, it's not a very biblical principle to yeah. claim to live by. Like there's unacceptable people and then there's <laughs> us and we got it figured out. Yeah. Um, that's just yeah. not true. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of correlation to what you said to the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is good stuff, guys. What kind of tips and tricks have you learned uh, throughout or like weapons of choice through your recovery process? I think I would define alcoholism as something we're powerless over. And the way to find some power is to do all of those esteemable acts, those little micro things from the flank, uh, focusing on the problem, not drinking, only gives you the problem. That's right. The better approach would be to fill one's day with um, uh, uh, AA related behaviors and, uh, connections. Yeah. So the way to avoid a trigger would be to not have a lot of, uh, spare time to be focusing on that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a quote. I don't remember who said it, but it's, it's what you think about is what you become. Mm. And um, I heard it put so well, this idea of just these micro things that you're doing, like yeah. filling your day with these yeah. kind of things. Yeah. I wonder if this wouldn't help people kind of understand what, what you're saying uh, with this little metaphor here. Like, I want to write a book. Mm. I'm not an author, mm. but let's say I wrote for 15 minutes a day and you fast forward for a year. 
what I'm doing is I'm saying like, I'm becoming this kind of person that I wasn't before. And now I've got proof. And I think that's kind of what you're getting to with this esteemable action thing. So true. So in two years, when I've written a book and I'm working on my second, I'm like, I'm an author. When you get to the point where you've done enough esteemable acts where something in your mind flips, but it's a change that I think doesn't come about without all the tiny collections of esteemable acts where it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm an author yeah. or I'm in recovery. I, I don't I, drink. I think that's perfect because we would describe that as a psychic change, doing a 180 on how we view the world. Rather than going out and seeing what we can get from the world, we're going out into the world to see what we can pack into the stream of life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing we would do, the other phrases we would use is a spiritual experience, which would sort of imply fast, quick, big white light sort of uh, experiences. And the next would be a spiritual awakening over a, over an extended period of time. I think any three of those would be a description of what you're talking about by taking small little steps mm-hmm. toward being part of AA. Yeah. Gives one the power to have defense against the first drink in Philadelphia at age 40. Yeah. Hmm. And probably like many things in life, when you start to recognize that you're not doing the little things and you're Mm. starting to fall out of the habits, Mm. that can be like little things we need to pay attention to. I was just thinking about it this morning. I was not being as productive as I wanted to be. And I realized I stopped meditating like two weeks ago Mm. and I let go of this habit that was producing value in my life by allowing me to get focused in the morning and think stuff through. And I was realizing, oh, I'm not as good as putting together my to-do list and sorting what the big priority is for today and just unpack and be like, oh, I let, I let some stuff go that were small actions that were helping me be the kind of person that I want to be. Yeah. And that's the beauty of a crew in AA, of having a tribe in AA, having a small uh, uh, group of people that you hang around with yeah. is you're going to be called on that. Yeah. If, if I don't show up two nights in a row, mm-hmm. my phone's going to blow up. Yeah. If you, if you could think back and, and go back and, and tell the, the muddled brain of the younger version of yourself, like, man, if if there was one principle I could help you understand and you could kind of like back to the future, that thing and just show up and be like, Hey, I'm you from the future. Do this. What do you think the, that young man would need to hear the most? Well, I think it goes to the principle that we're talking about of I was all in my head and angry over my circumstances, which blocked me from being a a participant in in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not overstating that. I mean, it was fairly dramatic. Um, But the problem with me saying it that way is. That little boy wouldn't understand that. Yeah, he didn't it, understand it's a time, that. It's a time. It's a process thing. It's like the journey's the journey's the journey. It's, mm-hmm. mm, and I wouldn't change one damn thing. Yeah. I wouldn't change one damn thing. There is so much wisdom to be found in, in kind of walking through a little bit about what it looks like to get out of an addiction. And I think what happens for a lot of people is you might think, well, I don't really have a problem with that. And so I don't really, I don't really maybe need that. Maybe it doesn't apply, but it's interesting to listen to. I think we all have a problem. I can say with confidence. I know we all have a problem with putting our needs above the needs of other people. 
in living selfishly, building our own little kingdom. And that path almost, or I would say always leads to just a place of isolation because what you're doing is you're saying, Nope, that's not, that's not the way I do. Um, and so if you find yourself feeling isolated or lonely or just feeling like something's off, I bet you, if you're honest with yourself and peel back enough layers, it's that you're not in meaningful relationships with people and you're, Mm -hmm. you're not feeling like you're doing what you were wired to do, which is bring value to Mm -hmm. other people's lives. Be, honest with what you're going through and help other people. Um, so that's just a, that's just a good reminder. Yeah. Or you have inadequacies that you believe lies about what I have a question. This might seem trivial, but are there any alcoholics who are just beer drinkers? Like sure, there are right. Oh, Cause sure. you're still alcohol in there and you're still numbing. Yeah. It's out beer. I, I yeah. think it would be more of a question. Uh, the, 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 there is a great, definition in, in the Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the big book. But um, I think it's, it's much less about the amount mm-hmm. and more about what it does. Mm. Does it cause issues? Does it cause us to, mm-hmm. you know, not be with our family, spend money we don't have, uh, 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 showing up at work and giving them 72%. Uh, these sorts of things, I think, would be the better measurement. Uh, uh, deciding you're not going to drink tonight and still drink. Decide that you're going to go to the bar and only have six, but have 11. Mm. Those would be pretty good indicators that you're there or getting there. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I th- there are people that, you know, have three mm. glasses of wine a day and mm. they're in a, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a huge percentage, mm. but they're there. Um, I, I think to get to the point where you want to go through, you want to transform your life and make AA a cornerstone of your life, you're probably in the crapper. So if you're listening and you're thinking, man, this is encouraging. What are the reasons? Maybe you're feeling inspired. I like to try to give people something practical to do. What do you think is something practical that you could do today? That would help you, like maybe it's a micro action. Maybe it's, it's, it's what'd you call it? An esteem build, mm-hmm. an esteem building or character building kind of thing. What are some of the things that you like to incorporate in your day? Uh, I do an app on my phone for uh, meditation. I do, uh, I practice the uh, 11th step, which is prayer and meditation at the end of the day or during the day, beginning of the day. Um, But I would have to say the number one thing that I do is that I reach out to other alcoholics, which then starts a domino effect where then they're all reaching out to me. So my, my phone is fairly active. My phone is fairly active. And that sort of connection doesn't allow for feeling as though I need something. I'm full. Yeah. So that's my practical thing. If it's somebody who were, was listening and said, well, gee, I don't even know how to get started in this. I think I might have a problem. I don't know. And I'd go to an open meeting mm-hmm. and uh, 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 try a few of them mm-hmm. and see if there's any sort of uh, resonation mm-hmm. uh, with, um, 
one of the speakers. You said you sold advertising, TV advertising for a spell, right? Are there any weak spots in that? Ad- we're bombarded with advertisements. I think what we see something like 8,000, 3,000 a day ads, something like that. But it's, uh, what are you? Well, I'm very pro ad. You're pro ad. I'm pro ad. My, yeah, you're pro my, ad. My yeah. income was based on it. Right, right. <laughs> Do you, currently, are there any weak spots in advertising where you see alcohol advertised that you're like, oh man, that, that really makes me want to break or no. I want some of that? No, or, no. no. It, and, and that would be AA's position uh-huh. is that they have no opinion on booze what any way, shape, or form. It, mm. uh, it's booze. It's just, yeah, it's just booze. It's a separate thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's right. It's right. Yeah. Uh, it's a very small percentage of, of the world population that would actually be at the level that we would, medically, uh, 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 I guess they would consider alcoholic, real uh-huh. alcoholic, and it's somewhere uh-huh. in that 10% range. Uh-huh. So, no, everybody should have a blast. And if you have a problem, uh-huh. we're, we're there. Got it. I think that's a very practical point. When you were saying I was, I was thinking about like in my particular experience, I was telling my wife the other day, I think one of the key performance indicators for my business as a business owner has been when I go to networking meetings and I meet people and I spend time with people and I have a real conversation with a human. Those are the things that, and I'm not talking about, I use the wrong word. So key performance indicators about making money. I was talking to my wife about like when I feel contentment and joy in my job. And she was pointing out to me, like when you don't do that, you kind of get in your head and you haven't had that connection with people. Because I think for me, the joy that I get from work is by helping other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I don't get to just hang out with other people. um, So I mean, when you were saying that, like just reaching out to various people every day, I was thinking for me, like, oh, I need to, I need to maybe figure out like what a method is for me to build that in yeah. a little bit more steady. Uh, but when you said it was funny, you were said five meetings a week. I just decided to schedule five, uh, like networking meetings a week, <laughs> which is, uh, there are no coincidences. There are no coincidences. Um, which is great. I mean, these are, these are really great principles. Yeah. I love the fact that so much of the complexity of life boils down to so few core principles. Yeah. Like yeah. putting other people before yourself is actually good for you. Yeah. It's a paradox that you can spend your whole life trying to figure that thing out and you'll never get bored. <laughs> and I think you make a great point because uh, I hope it didn't sound like these are, you know, uh, uh, AA invented principles. They're right. universal principles that uh, Bill Wilson really just did a great job with synthesizing and then making it so that it's very adaptable to the alcoholic. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, uh, the apex of all of these things are the fact that we are powerless over alcohol. So, mm. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you so much for being here, Tim. My pleasure. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, lots to lots to think about here. Lots to chew on. Go so on just Google there. open meeting. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Google the local intergroup office, and they'll have some sort of meeting list, and uh, just find one in your hometown. And yeah, you said it if must you, be an open meeting. If you find your way there, you're just looking for that something to resonate. Yeah, you want to hear the speaker's story, and and it, the first one you may not say, "Wow, that's crazy." Yeah. I'm I'm not. 62 years old and you might go to another one. He's 24 years old, right. like a female. And yeah, you got to dabble a little in it. And so do a couple. I would do saying. a few. Yeah. A few. And I think too, like, I wonder if it's not like, like for me, like there was a point in my life last year where I needed to go see a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I know I fought that for forever. I'm Midwestern. Yeah. I uh, don't want to feel my feelings, uh, <laughs> let alone talk about them with somebody else. And, um, 
there was all these, uh, I would say just kind of self-imposed things going through my mind about like what it said about me if I went to go see a counselor. And, um, I don't remember exactly what got me off the fence. I mean, I needed to see a counselor for like a year before I went to see somebody, but I do remember feeling almost immediately afterwards, like, why did I wait so long? Like, and even if this didn't help, which it did, what would it have cost me other than like a couple of trips to see this nice man who asked me questions and tried to help me out? Um, so yeah, I, I totally think that that would be, what do you got to lose by just checking out a couple of evenings That's whenever? Right. That's right. Give it a shot. Good stuff. All right. Rock and roll. Bye. <laughs> That's so, a good ending. We're Jeff. so good at ending these. <laughs> I always like to leave in the bit where we end it poorly and then talk about how we ended it poorly. So this will probably make it. <laughs> love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? 